welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. If you're like me, you're finally reveling in maskless life. I never thought I'd miss the smell of body odor, but it's better than my own breath redirected into my face. Oh, secrets. We're just over halfway through 2021, and dare I say it, it's definitely been a better year than 2020, and I know that that is a low bar, but I will take it. The one thing that has the potential to spoil my mood, I guess, is if Democrats manage to squander this rare moment where they enjoy power over every legislative branch in government. But hopefully today's guest, DNC Chairman Jamie Harrison, can talk me down. I'm joined by my producers, Adam Howard and Svea Baron reinstein Tell me, podcast gals, when did you first become aware of the two major political parties? And when did you realize, if I can be presumptuous, that you were more aligned with one over the other? I'll give you my perspective as a Canadian. Three major parties, maybe even three and a half. <laughs> what are the three major parties in Canada? I know nothing about We this. have like a conservative party and we have a liberal party and we have an NDP party, which is more like a I guess, more along the lines of uh, Democratic Socialist Party. But we also have like, I think we have like a Democratic Democratic Socialist Party as well. And there are a variety of other ones. <laughs> you have too those, many liberals. <laughs> those are the majors. Yeah. Those are the, the majors. When did you realize? When did you know who you were politically? Well, I mean, my parents really, really hated Ronald Reagan, rightfully yeah. so. So mm -hmm. I heard a lot of that growing up. I was an 80s baby, and mm -hmm. I didn't fully understand why or whatever, but I just sort of went along with it because it seemed mm -hmm. like the thing to do. I would say that the first election that I was sort of conscious of was the 92 race with uh, Bill Clinton's sort of first run. Okay. Because uh, I was watching a lot of like SNL and, you know, the Dana Carvey impression of George H.W. Bush kind of right. formed my opinion of him in my mind. And at the time, Bill Clinton seemed very cool and sort of new and hopeful. And mm -hmm. we all know how that turned out. But that was kind of the moment, I think, <laughs> when I was like, I'm with those guys because that seems like the, the right side to be on. Right. I don't right. remember like a year, but my first like, I feel like the first time I got involved I was such a nerd. I was probably Aww. like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And there was a huge article in the Boston Globe magazine about mm -hmm. Howard Dean and his campaign oh, for, yeah. for president. Oh. And I read it for some reason and really liked it and decided I would email all of my dad's email contacts that they should support Howard Dean. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he let me. That's so, so that's really sweet. It didn't matter, it seems. But that is like <laughs> the first time that I feel like I really took politics into my own hands. Wow, that's super cute. I went to New Hampshire when I first moved to the States. The first election campaign I really participated in or like went to events for was in 2004. And I followed the Dean campaign. So we got into politics around the same time, Sam. <laughs> same time. <laughs> Except I was already a mom. No, I was not. <laughs> I was not yet a mom. Um, and I thoroughly embarrassed myself by shouting out a question at a huge Dean event. <laughs> like I was jumping. I was like, I have a question. I have a question. And I don't remember what the, the, the question was, but it was related to the scream that he had done. Oh, no. It was like, where to go? Which seems like such small potatoes now. Um, and then I tried to kiss him on the back of his neck. <gasps> the security guard <laughs> later, the two different things. <laughs> I'm assuming awful. that was a bit. Yeah, it was a bit. I was like, <laughs> when they hired me at the Daily Show, they were like, who's this chick from Canada? I was like, I will fucking wipe the floor with all of you. I'm going to do it all. I'm trying anything to get on TV. And so I tried to kiss him on the back of the neck and the security guards Does pushed me. Does that exist? I need that. They, no, because his security guard like arm barred me hard across the chest. He was like, Jeez. fuck off. I think he might have said fuck off. And I was like, all right, I don't care. I'm trying to get another thing. Like ridiculous. <laughs> I liked Howard Dean. Anyway, can you imagine that stupid scream was just so nothing? He was great. Did you follow American politics much before you came here? I 
did actually, but from a different perspective, because I'm from, you know, another country and we don't study American politics so much as study the history of American imperialism. And we mm. call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so true. different. Yeah. Like yeah. our, we're not like, <laughs> and then when I came here, I remember saying that in a meeting at the Daily Show and everyone just looked at me like, what do you, we don't, do, we don't have that. And I was like, oh, right. You grew up here. Oh, right. You actually have no, I was actually really surprised by when I came in 2003, how many really smart people who lived here their whole lives had almost no global perspective mm. of the country in which they were country of birth. Anyways, everything's fine. And I'm a citizen now. So I love it. I do. I do love it. Anyways, what am I talking about? Let's do a podcast. <laughs> Should we do a podcast? Are we already recording? This is all gold. <laughs> um, and also my mom hated Ronald Reagan as well. So I would have lots of fights with my grandmother who loved Ronald Reagan. Oof. I thought he was really handsome. <laughs> I loved my grandmother. I I was really like, I just really loved her. But she, for her, her style icon was Nancy Reagan. Wow. And her husband icon was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Every just, just iconic couple. Yeah. So we fought a lot and we watched Iran Contra. And I was just really a kid. And I was like, look at this pig. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like when Oliver North was testifying, and like, look at him, look at him lie. And she was like, his haircut is so tidy. <laughs> look how he gets You can set your watch to it. <laughs> Totally. He can bounce a quarter off the way his sheets are so tight on his bed. <laughs> okay. I think now's a great time for a break. So we're going to take a quick break. Oh, we have Jamie Harrison coming up. Okay. Joining me today is DNC Chairman Jamie Harrison. Jamie became a household name after his U.S. Senate challenge to Lindsey Graham, which galvanized progressives nationally. But after his defeat, Jamie did not give in to despair. Look at that. He brushed his shoulders off to take on a new thankless task, taking over leadership of the DNC in the hopes of steering them to more surprising and reassuring victories in 2022 and beyond. I'm super rooting for him, and I bet that most of you are as well. Please welcome to the show, Jamie Harrison. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. We have so much to talk about today. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm excited about being here. Of course, we all know you because your your big Senate run was like <laughs> on the tip of we all know you very well from that. And now tell us about your new job and how long you've been doing it for. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about the Senate run, I can't even go to Costco without being uh, yeah. with a mask on, you know, right, <laughs> folks, right. folks coming. I, the other day I was walking down the aisles and this mom had two kids with in, in, in the cart and they were staring at me and then mm -hmm. they walked down the aisle and then finally I got to the register and she came up with, to me and the kids were in the cart and she said, are you Jamie Harrison? I said, yes. She said, my kids love you. Can oh. you come and say hello? I said, yes. <laughs> and the one kid came up to me and said, I'm Jamie Harrison and I approve this message. Oh my God, that's so sweet. <laughs> it okay. was so funny. It was you so know funny. what? It's nice to walk through life with that kind of feedback. Well, you know, listen, if the kids could vote, then I would be the senator right, right now. Um, <laughs> Make it happen. I mm. know, I know. But, okay. you know, I'm I'm enjoying uh, being chair of the DNC. Yeah. I know after the election, my grandma, I was a little despondent. You know, you put your heart and soul into something. Sure. My grandma told me, she said, Jamie, you know, when one door closes, others open. And mm -hmm. she was right. And right. I am really... You know, just like how t Joe Biden ran for president a number of times, didn't mm -hmm. win, but he won this time. Right. He's the right president for the time that we need right now. And right. I really feel like my role as a DNC chair, I'm where I need to be at this point in time. Um, right. Because I'm focused like a laser on rebuilding our party strengthening our party in all of our states, not just in just the battlegrounds. And, right. and 
it, it's good work. It's the work that we need and uh, I'm happy to be doing it. What does the transition look like? Like when you, when you get the job and you take over for Tom Perez, what is that? What is it like? Is it like a presidential changing hands? Like you get all the iPads with all the info. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, well, luckily, you know, I, I worked for Tom. I was mm-hmm. his associate chair and Tom is, and I are really good friends. So it was a seamless transition. Okay. I, I, I knew most of the staff already. I did decide to do something that was a little um, non-traditional with uh, whenever you get the transition from chair to chair. In normal time, well, in in the past, what has happened is that uh, when you get a new chair, all of the staff are asked to submit letters of resignation. Oh, okay. And, Mm -hmm. And then you decide, the new chair would decide whether or not to accept some, probably would, and not others. And then you start building all over again, mm-hmm. this new DNC. Well, I just decided that was not smart. We had folks who worked their hearts out mm-hmm. and actually brought us the majority and the, the, kept the majority in the House and uh, got us into the majority in the Senate and the White House. And so it, I want to build on to what they did, not tear it down and then start a new. And so I asked all of the staff to stay. Now, some have transitioned because they've gone into the administration, but uh, they're just a remarkable bunch of of young folks who are are really doing some great work right now. And I'm proud to be a member of the team. Okay. Well, we all want to know, what's the plan for 2022? Just lay it, lay it on us. Well, listen, the plan is to book history. Okay. And that's what we did in 2020. You know, the history was in 2020 that incumbent presidents don't lose elections right. or re-elections. Well, for the first time in 30 years, incumbent president lost. He, mm-hmm. He's sitting on a beach somewhere uh, down there in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we knew that Democrats don't normally win runoff elections in Georgia. Well, not only did we win one, we won two. So we know that we can make our own history if we do what is necessary to do that. And the key is organizing, 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 and not waiting until next year, but doing it now. So we have already announced some major investments because I think, you know, when when faced with historical precedents, you have to take some unprecedented actions in order to change that history. And so one of the big things that we we announced probably about a month ago was that we're putting $20 million on the ground right now. Uh-huh. Uh, to begin organizing in uh, some of our states, to do voter protection in, in many of our states, to put communication staff on the ground in those states. So we're not waiting until next year to do that. We're doing it right now. Right. Is that enough money? Because well, I'm very worried. Oh, I know. I know. And that's why I tell people, it, you, it, continue to send in your dollars, go to Democrats.org. Because as soon as we get dollars, I'm putting it into the on the ground, adding more organizers in more places. So in addition to that $20 million investment in terms of our ground game, and again, that's just money that we're spending right now. That's not even in the the year of the election, which is in 2022, where we'll spend a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. We are also just announced that we uh, the largest historical investment that we've ever had in state parties. A $28 million of four-year investment in our state parties. And we've created even a red state fund where we're adding additional dollars in states where Republicans have controlled the legislature, the governor's mansion, and, and right. the majority control in our in the federal delegations. So as I tell folks, this is this is not your grandmama's DNC. We right. are we are really doing all that we can to be stronger, to be smarter, and to start earlier. Uh, in order to to push back against the craziness on the other side. Yeah, I feel like there's so much anti-voting legislation coming down the pike that they're trying to pass. I mean, how do you even grapple with the magnitude of that? No, you know, listen, it's daunting. And personally, it, it's, it eats away at me. And, and, mm-hmm. and I tell folks, you know, I, I grew up in South Carolina. Black man grew up in South Carolina. My, I was raised by my grandparents. My mm-hmm. grandfather had a fourth grade education and he he did construction. And my grandmother had an eighth grade ed- education. She did 
she picked cotton initially, and then she did uh, worked in the textile plants. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I would often do with my grandfather became our tradition. We would go vote together. He passed away right. in 2004, and that was the last time we voted together. And so, you know, I took him right. to vote. That was quite an election, too. Oh, yes, it was an election because that's uh, if folks remember, that's when Bush beat Kerry. But in South Carolina, for us in particular, we had Inez Tenenbaum running against Jim DeMint. Okay. And I was the political director on that on that race. But I I took my grandfather to vote. He was uh, disabled because of diabetes. And we were sitting, we had just come back from voting. We were sitting out on the porch and he told me, he said, you know, uh, he called me Baldy because that's his nickname. Nobody else <laughs> okay. can call me that. That's just my grandfather. <laughs> but he said, he said, Baldy. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, in this state, I wasn't always considered a whole man. And I said, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I know that. He said, you know, in this state, I couldn't vote like we did today. Uh, I couldn't always vote like we did today. I said, yes, sir. I know that too. He said, let me tell you something. You never let anybody tell you that you don't count. You never let anybody tell you that you don't matter. Mm-hmm. What we are seeing right now, Samantha, with these Republicans in states across this country is that they're telling whole groups of people that they yeah. don't count and that they don't matter. And, you know, now I'm a father of two, two young black boys that I'm, I'm raising here in South Carolina. I don't want my sons to grow up in an environment like my grandparents grew up in. Right. 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 And so we got to do everything that we can to fight back against these efforts. So from the state houses to courthouses to the houses of Congress, the DNC is going to do everything that we can to push back against these efforts, to take away our most sacred and fundamental right, which is the right to vote. And how do you keep people in this fight? I think that people... And believe me, because I'm always like up here on my soapbox talking about voting and all of that jazz. But people's eyes glaze over. Like I said, the word midterms in a in a group of you know smart, forward thinking people, and I felt like they, I felt like their souls dropped out of their bodies. I felt like they were like, "Don't say it," but I'm like, "Hey, man, it's." Well, it's really coming up. It's less than 18 months away. You know, Sam, many of them believe that we won in 2020 and that's it. Right. right. It's all done. Donald Trump is no longer in the White House. It's not mm-hmm. done. Folks, understand oh that his minions are still there. You got, you know, GOP leaderless, as I call them, in the House. Kevin McCarthy, a man who does not have a spine, mm-hmm. plays with Mr. Potato Head dolls and reads Dr. Seuss, who wants to be Speaker of the House. And this is the man who has enabled people like Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene. So just think about if you don't go out to vote, if you don't understand why protecting the right to vote is important, think of Marjorie Taylor Greene as a chair of a a committee or a subcommittee in the House of Representatives. Think about that. Think about someone who is so filled with hate. My body is literally like I'm having a full body cringe. I just started, my whole body started to sweat. Well, and, and it should. (laughs) <laughs> because it is scary. It is scary that these people we would hand over the future of our kids, the future of this nation to, when they have demonstrated that they don't care anything about the Constitution. They don't care anything about their oath of office. All they care about is power. Uh, and, and, and that's sad. So if you love this country and you love mm-hmm. what this country represents and, and the opportunities that this country provides to so many, then yes, voting in 2020 was important, but you sure as hell better get off the couch to vote in 2022 because that is how you protect the democracy and to make sure that that it's here for for future generations. What's it going to take for the Trump fever to break in the Republican Party? What do you think it's going to take? They need to be demolished in the 2022 elections. Demolished. They need to, we have to, the American people have to demonstrate Mm -hmm. that there is zero tolerance for a a party that does not put the American people first. Right. Uh, And so that's, that's in essence what has to happen because right now they believe as Lindsey Graham has said that their best interests are tied to Donald Trump. They believe that Donald Trump is the savior for the Republican party. 
Right. Despite the fact that they had the White House, they had the House and they had the Senate and they lost all of that under Donald Trump. Right. But in order to break the fever, we have to we have to demonstrate it in one more election cycle that the American people are not subscribing to the Trump philosophy. That is not what they want in America. Do you ever secretly wish that the Democratic voters would be as mind bogglingly loyal and dedicated to their party. <laughs> uh, a, a little less hand wringing and, and a lot more uh, fervent in our in our belief to go out and make sure that uh, right. these crazies don't take over. Right, right. The risk is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean it, it's tremendous. And and listen, mm-hmm. I I love all all of our activists, and I know so many people. Like I'm so worried. Don't be worried. Pick up the phone. Let's call some voters. Let's get more voters registered. All of that nervous energy that you have, pour it into how do we educate, mobilize, register, and protect the right of voters moving forward in 2022. And get those first-time voters voting. Yes, exactly right. Get your your sons, your daughters, nieces, nephews. uh, Get that cousin off of the couch. Get them registered. Make sure they go out and vote. I feel like we should have a conversation even like in a year's time. Yes. You're going to be so... Busy. <laughs> I know. You have so much to do. Okay. Next question. Okay. Donald Trump did, he did surprisingly well with Black and Latino voters in 2020, particularly men. What is the Democratic Party doing to address that? Yeah. Well, that is also part of why the earlier engagement is so crucial and so important. You know, I think in the past, We Mm -hmm. have certain communities, we just say, oh, they're always going to be there for us, right? Uh, Right. The minority communities, they'll they'll be there. They're going to vote Democratic. What what would they do otherwise, right? Right. Everybody has ability to choose. And and everybody wants to feel seen. Everyone wants to feel valued. Everyone wants to be heard. And so if you, even though your, your values may align, if you don't give people the attention that they need, then mm-hmm. they may just look the other way and, and go to the to the folks who actually give them that attention. And right. so that's why we have to compete for every vote. We can't just assume uh, that people or groups are just going to be there to support us in the end. Right. You, you got to if you want the vote, you got to fight for it. Right. And and that's what I'm going to do as chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Make sure that we're fighting for every single vote, making sure that the people understand that we see them, that we value them, that we are going to work on their behalf. And and that's important. Right. I guess that leads me to my next question, because you've been you've raised more than a hundred million dollars. No, I know it's it's kind of crazy. Race. I know. I mean, that's incredible. And you've been really successful raising money as the new DNC chair, but is like the, the money isn't every, um, no, the money, the money's not enough. Money isn't everything in the end of the day. Uh, you know, Lindsay raised 109 million, uh, yeah. you know, Mitch McConnell dropped 35 million in the last five weeks or so. So in right. the end of the day, the money, money is only a part of the equation because you need yeah. the resources in order to do the outreach. So what do you what do you do in conjunction? Yes, I guess with the fundraising to actually make sure the money is going to the right place. That is where the organizing comes in, and uh-huh. the problem that you have, particularly in the red states, is for so long there has been no infrastructure, no organizational structure in many of these communities and states, and so you know. The reason why Georgia was so successful was for years, Stacy and others have been building an organization to reach mm-hmm. out in these individual precincts, in these individual communities. And so how the money helps is then you have the resources to put more boots on the ground, to put more information in a concerted effort through those uh, organizing uh, uh, streams that you now have. We, I mean, we talked to so many people who were like, well, I got in my car and I got my car repaired and then I drove across, uh, I drove back and forth across the Navajo Nation yeah. for a year and a half. I got up every day at five in the morning and I went and registered voters with addresses that didn't show up in the postal system traditionally. You're like, what? You did what? And you did that by yourself? <laughs> but it, But that is what has to happen. 
Mm-hmm. That is what has to happen in order, particularly for communities that have been traditionally left out and left behind, who are living under-resourced communities. Right. It takes a lot more energy. It takes a lot more effort. It takes more resources in order to reach those folks, uh, in order to help them have the tools and the information that they need to eventually go out to vote. And many of those folks are just jaded with the process. Right. You know, I... the. I had one ad, which I thought was the best ad that we ran, and I called it was my dirt road ad. When I was the chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party, I went to, uh, I was canvassing in a rural part of South Carolina, and I went down this old dirt road and saw this house and knocked on the door, and this elderly black man came to the door, and he looked at me and said, who are you and what do you want? I said, sir, I'm the chair of the Democratic Party, and this is the most consequential election I need you to vote. And he said, son, stop right there. He said, you see that road you came up on? I said, yes, sir. He said, what kind of road is it? I said, dirt road. He said, son, that was a dirt road when Ronald Reagan was president, when the Bushes were president, when Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were president. Son, that's still a goddamn dirt road. So until either you Democrats or Republicans pay my road, I don't want to deal with any of you. And he slammed his door and he went back in his house. Now, you know, I thought about what he really meant. The most important thing to this man was that he lived on the road that hadn't been paid. And many politicians, Democrats, Republicans, had talked about infrastructure and paving the road, but nobody ever did it. And so he had just become jaded with the process because he felt that nobody in the end of the day uh, was fighting for him. Right. And that's what we have to do as Democrats. We can't just talk about our values. We have to illustrate and show that to people. That's why I love Joe Biden so much, because he's not just talking about these things. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to put money into the system to improve the lives of the people in this country. And we're going to let the people know that it was Democrats who did it and not one Republican supported us in that. Well, I want to pave that guy's road so badly now. (laughs) That guy needs needs pavement. He needs a steamroller. Yes. Some asphalt. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Okay. So for, you know, for, for so many money in politics, like, I mean, we're talking about yeah. money in politics, but let's talk about the flip side of money in politics. It's a huge, it's a, it's a huge issue. Will we ever see a campaign where the winner doesn't need to spend upwards of a hundred million dollars? Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I often think about how much money we had to raise because if we weren't, we were being outraged by Lindsay until the very last quarter. Right. His pleas for money were so sad. Oh, my God. Just like, folks, help me. I need money. <laughs> like, they were just. It was shameful. I was like, I almost felt so bad for him. I wanted to send him a dollar, you know? <laughs> uh, it, it, it was really, really, really sad. He was like, folks, they're hurting me. They, they're killing me down here. They're killing me. a dollar. I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're the senator from South Carolina. I know. Is he going to like turn his pockets inside out? Oh, I don't and know. And just, it was okay. Well, but anyway. will we, can we get, is there any hope? Yes. Well, you know, HR1 and S1 is a perfect way to start changing this system mm-hmm. because I don't believe, and I think many Americans don't believe that billionaires should be able to buy our elections. Right. And right now they can't, uh, you know, with some of these super PACs that are out there. And I saw it in my own race. When, you know, you can go to the Sheldon Adelson's or the uh, Koch brothers out there and they can put 10 and 20 million dollars in a race and then not disclose it until the very until the race is done. Right. You know, that shapes and forms what happens in the race, what happens on the ground. Right. H.R. One stops that. Okay. Uh, and and the reason why you see the Republicans pushing back against that, the reason why you see the Koch brothers and and other folks push back against that is because they understand that it stops that. But right. the American people don't want billionaires to buy their elections. Uh, and I don't blame it. Is this our only hope? H.R. 1? H.R. 1, S. OK, OK, OK. Ooh. For the People Act. For the People Act. Um where do you stand in the fight on the filibuster? Well, listen, you know, I, I almost had to deal with that issue had I been a member of the Senate, but I'm not a member of the Senate. Mm-hmm. And I know Chuck Schumer right now is really uh, tussling with this and trying to figure out, you know, I, I believe that most of the senators, and I've gotten a chance to know them, 
want to find ways that they can work together in a bipartisan fashion. Most of the Democratic senators, I put it that way, right. want to find ways to work in a bipartisan fashion to move the country forward because they believe in government and that the government can do good things for, for folks. But at this point, how could any Democrat believe that there are 10 Republicans in the U.S. Senate I don't, who will support yes. any Biden initiative. I, I, think, I think the vast majority of Democrats don't believe that at this point. When okay. you see that they cannot, when you can't even get 10 Republicans to support a bipartisan commission to look into an insurrectionary coup yeah. uh, uh, of our U.S. Capitol, that's problematic. That is yeah. extremely problematic. That means that we have a dysfunction that is of such a level and so unprecedented that that we are going to have to take, you know, uh, we have to look at unprecedented actions in order to move forward. And so, uh, listen, in the end of the day, I hope that they can find 10 folks who who can form some caucus on the Republican side to move things forward. But, you know, Chuck Schumer is going to look at what what his chessboard looks like. And he's going to make the best decision for the American people and for for our party, because we we can't sit back and allow these efforts to suppress voters, to take away the rights of voters uh, and to to stall progress in this country. And so but I leave that up to Leader Schumer uh, to figure out how he threads that needle. Okay, well, even without bipartisan support, Biden has really, by all measures, accomplished a lot in just a couple months in office. I mean, like half of us are now vaccinated, fully vaccinated. But so where do we go? I guess, where do we go from here? Yeah. Well, you know, I I just have to say, I mean, you look at the American Rescue Plan and what that did. Uh, You you know, you had Donald Trump. Think about where we were January 19th of this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Fauci was basically saying that we wouldn't be at the point where we are now. They weren't projecting we would be at this point probably until the winter or the spring of next year. Right. But we are where we are because when Joe Biden took that oath of office and uh, strode down Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House, he went to work immediately to make sure that we could address this pandemic and, and got people focused on it. So we got the, the American Rescue Plan put shots in arms, money in people's pockets to, to help them deal with the hardships of the of COVID, got kids back into schools. And I mean, it's just been a tremendous piece of legislation. And he's looking at continuing to build on that. Right. You know, the 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 speed by which they're now looking at vaccinations for kids, which is amazing. You know, I have two kids, a six-year-old and two-year-old. And right now we are still being cautious because they are not vaccinated. Yeah. But but now, you know, many of my, my friends who have older kids, you know, the joy of having their kids vaccinated, you know, 12 and 13 year olds. Um, it, it's we're getting a sense of normalcy back in the country. And that's such a good thing. And I think the only reason why we have that is because we actually have a normal person who <laughs> is in the office of, uh, of the president. A normal person. But you're right. <laughs> like a human being. Yes. <laughs> well, how does he sustain these kinds of approval ratings? I guess just by continuing down this road. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it continuing to be Joe Biden. Yeah. You know, Joe Biden has always been someone that people have just just loved. I mean, he's just a good guy with a with a big heart. Uh and he's bringing that that empathy, he's bringing that uh just common man approach to his job as president of the United States, where he can relate to people based off of his experiences, the hardships that he's gone through, and how, how he grew up in this country. And, and it's just refreshing that, that he sees the best in all of us, and he wants the best in all of us to flourish, to come out. And so he's going to continue to push. And my job is to make sure that he continues to have the majorities that he needs in the House and the Senate in order to get things done. And I'm happy to say that we have a president who also understands the value of a party and is putting his resources. I mean, he's doing something for me later tonight, just thanking folks, putting time and energy into making sure that we can compete, uh, that, that Democrats can maintain majorities in the House and Senate. And for that, 
I, I am extremely thankful. Well, here's a little sidewinder. Do you think we'll see DC or Puerto Rican statehood in our lifetimes? I hope so. Do you think the only, really you think the so. only real opposition to them becoming states is the presumption that they would go blue? No, I think so. Yeah. I think that's what the Republicans, I mean, listen, it's all politics for them. Sure. The right, the, whether or not it's a right or wrong question is not a factor in the decision-making of the Republican Party. Right. It's all about whether or not it gives them power or uh, takes away perceived power. Right, right, right. And the right thing to do is there shouldn't be anybody in this country that's an American citizen that doesn't have representation in Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's no-brainer. It, it should not be. Uh, and so we have to resolve that. I mean, you know, some of these Republicans don't even know that Puerto Rican folks are American citizens. So, you know, you got that problem to start off with. Yeah, but, we, did but a whole, we did a whole special in, in Puerto Rico. And <laughs> like a surprising number of people don't yes. know that. <laughs> well, and, and, the, and the sad part is a surprising number of U.S. senators and Congress people and even for a while, the president of the United States, the old one, did not know that Puerto Ricans were American. Are there key traits of the younger, of the newer members of Congress that excite you the most? Do you look at some of them and go, I think we're going to we're going to be OK. We're going to be we're in good hands. This is a yeah. good new crop. Well, the, the fearlessness uh, is one of them. Right. I mean, if many of them see what they believe is truth mm-hmm. and they, they go for it. And that's an. That's an important trait to have. Right. There's some really, really great talent uh, that we have. Um, some of the younger members, you know, one of my favorite people that I just absolutely love is Hakeem Jeffries right. uh, in the house. Hakeem is just a rock star. And of course, you know, my good friend who I've known for now over 20 years, Cory Booker mm-hmm. in the Senate. I mean, uh, again, a tremendous force of, of good. So we got and the future is and the present is bright for the Democratic Party right now. Right. We got a lot of talent in, in this party. And, uh, you know, and even in some of our territories, I mean, uh, Stacey Plaskett down in, in uh, the Virgin Islands, we saw her during the um, impeachment hearings mm-hmm. and how amazing she was. We got a lot of great talent and we just we have to continue to cultivate it. When is South Carolina going to become the next Georgia. Well, I hope South Carolina is <laughs> on the verge of that. I, I really do. And and I believe that my race helped to lay the foundation for that. Yeah. You know, in the end of the day, we ended up getting 1.1 million votes. Now, prior to my race, no Democrat in South Carolina had ever gotten over 860,000 votes. Wow. Including Barack Obama. Okay. We almost matched what Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton with in 2016. So Trump got 1.15 million. Mm-hmm. I got 1.1 million. We were 50,000 short of Trump's number. Wow. And so that has laid the foundation. Now there are things that fundamentally need to happen in order to get us closer. And mm-hmm. so things that you saw in Georgia, we need a massive voter registration initiative in South Carolina. And I had hoped to be able to do that on my race as well, but COVID prevented that. We couldn't do the right. door-to-door type uh, things that we wanted. Right. But we got 400,000 unregistered black voters in the state. Wow. That is more than enough uh, to eclipse uh, the the differences in my race and some of the other races that we've had in the past. And so what you will see in the South in particular, you know, I believe that the new frontier for the Democratic Party and the future of the Democratic Party is returning back to the South. This new South is emerging. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Georgia, Virginia really led the way, but you're seeing the changes in North Carolina and in Georgia. And I think very soon, uh, states like South Carolina and Mississippi and uh, Louisiana will follow up. Interesting. How much did COVID, I guess, delay the ground game and the plans uh, for the lead up to, to 2022? I think, but for COVID, we would have had much larger majorities in both the House and the Senate. Mm. There were a lot of House races that we lost by you know, a few thousand votes. Mm-hmm. And it, it's because you know many of the Democrats, and this is the difference between the Democrats and the Republican Party. You know, Democrats who values were, let's respect people, let's protect people. 
decided not to do the traditional door-to-door knocking because right. we didn't want to expose people to COVID. We didn't want to expose voters and our staff. Right. Republicans, on the other hand, continued. They It was as if nothing was different. <laughs> and they continued knocking on doors. They mm-hmm. continued doing all those type of, of things. Uh, and as a result of not having that type of function and that outreach effort, right. it really hurt us in the end Right on the margins. Republicans are just like, let me come on in. I'm just going to breathe on you and your family yes. and your yes. elderly relatives. And I won't wear masks. No, 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 no. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. South Carolina lawmakers recently voted to bring back executions by firing squad. What? is happening in South Carolina right now? What's well, going we, on? We have a, uh, our, uh, our governor is Henry McMaster, who I call Henry McDisaster. <laughs> um, uh, this guy is nice. When a night, he's a nice person. When you talk to him, okay. very pleasant, good manners. Okay. But is awful. So, in yes. terms of a leader. Good. Good manners can disguise. Oh yeah, a it can disguise of, a lot of bad, uh, bad a lot stuff. Of badness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it makes you scratch your head. You know, uh, I, there are many of us who who are trying to show folks uh, the goodness in South Carolina because there's such good here. Right. But we have, I mean, feckless leaders uh, right. in the state house, uh, in the governor's mansion who continue to do things in a most backwards fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, 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 they pull us back instead of moving us forward. And that's the sad part. And I'm going to do everything in my power. Uh, he's up for re-election this year, mm-hmm. uh, next year in 2022, to make sure that that doesn't happen. I mean, he is, it's just awful. It is really, really awful. Mm-hmm. And it makes you even think about, you know, is this the type of place you want to raise your kids? Right. Right. Um, when I mean, they passed an, an open carry law just recently. Uh, they, they're restricting uh, uh, abortions and uh, making uh, victims of sexual assault having to go to police departments in order to get approval before. I mean, it's all kinds of craziness. Right. right. You think you're in the you're still in the 1600s or the 1700s around here instead of. Uh, right. Well, it being 2021. Feckless. That's a good word. I popularized it in a lot yes, of ways. Yes, I love feckless. It's my favorite. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. How do you how do you unplug from politics? Like, do you <laughs> ever? How do you do that? I mean, your job is politics, like wall yes. to wall. What do you do to turn it off? Can you? It's it's hard. Yeah. Um, but I have two little ones uh, right. here at home. Six-year-old and a two-year-old, mm-hmm. and they they will make you. They do. Uh, so, That's true. They do. And you know, I'm I'm playing like right now uh, on the PlayStation Jurassic uh, Lego uh, Jur- Jurassic. Oh, it was Lego Jurassic Park mm-hmm. uh, and Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm finding Lego pieces. We, I mean, okay, I know you say no more. Stuff. It's true. I used to, I used to be so into my, you know, you, you get into the mode sometimes when yes. you're so into your work and my littlest one who is now 10, she would just grab my face and go, look at me. Like yes. she would just yes. go, we are talking now. You're looking into my yes. eyes. Me time. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, my little one does the same thing. It's a very the good direction. He will take, he'll just take my head and go, Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, this is my last question. It's very important, and you have to answer accurately and tell me and set me straight. Okay. When I spell the word Democrat, am I supposed to use the lowercase d or uppercase d? I think I get it wrong every time. Well, I always use, I mean, formalize. Well, you're the boss of it, so you have to say. Big D. Big D. Okay, that's it. That's the final word. I need yes. to, I got to, I'm going to put it up on my pin board. <laughs> uh, this is great. It's wonderful to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, same here. Thank boy, you. I, you got a big job ahead of you and I am with you walking beside you. Thank you. <laughs> you let us know if we can be helpful. <laughs> it's all hands on deck. It, it is. is all hands on deck. We, we need everybody. So it's true. folks go to Democrats.org, sign up, volunteer. 
Uh, you know, you want to put in calls, uh, you know, and troll Kevin McCarthy on Twitter. You know, any of that stuff is helpful. Yes. Well, listen, to hell with Lindsey Graham. Oh, God. It should have been, been you, but you're here doing this amazing job. It's so important. Thank and you. I'm just so thankful for you. Thanks for taking time out of your super busy schedule. I so appreciate it. To me. It's good seeing you. Okay, I'm going to squeeze in another quick break here. Okay. All right. That was great. Do you feel better after that? If possible, I think we feel a little better. Uh, yes. <laughs> we can always feel even better. Any and all opportunities to feel better and feel hopeful about the future. All of those are welcome. Speaking of the future, as, as you mm-hmm. and Jamie discussed, control over Congress is going to be crucial next year. And there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of despicable lawmakers that we desperately need to see defeated. So we wanted you to put on your political thinking cap and devise what you think would be this sort of ideal attack ad mm-hmm. to be directed at some of the following Congress people who are okay. all up for re-election next year. Okay. Okay. Hit me. All right. We'll start mm-hmm. with a softball. Okay. <laughs> How would you take down Marjorie Taylor Greene? Oh, my and God. What? if it's good, we might actually try to get Jamie to use this. What? Oh, God. Well, I mean... I don't know. Sorry. This is a real, this is a real thinker because her own words are so horrific. Like what an odious beast of a human person. So apart from just showing her saying and doing the things that she says and does, I'm not sure there's any real attack ad that's up to the task. Well, that clip of her like talking through AOC's door flap incredibly just, disturbing that just like they should just play that for like 15 seconds it's like this is the woman so disturbing like in a way and this is a really i uh, this is i i don't know i don't know how you would do this either how can you give voice to her like do everything that amplifies her feeds her she is like a fire she is like a a, a raging like out of control forest fire you kind of want to put a dome over it rather than <laughs> like do you really want to feature her so maybe the in... best attack ad is a no attack ad maybe the and best I'm sure atta- you're not yeah. just saying that because you couldn't think of one or put a dome oh, on her that'll be my answer for everyone <laughs> build, best build attack ad is we shouldn't ask me to come up with the attacks but like <laughs> i don't know how you you, you almost want to you want to you want to extinguish that fire in any way possible like every morning i wake up and my twitter feed is full of people retweeting her yeah. like this yeah, is not good guys this is a big problem hmm. the more the more of a voice that she has the more she's in our eyeballs she becomes more powerful Silence. 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 Don't mention her name. Don't say yeah. it. Don't give her an acronym. It's too much. Okay. What okay. about uh, Marco Rubio? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, no, that's perfect. Okay. Uh, 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 why? He's not. Uh, no. That's the attack ad. <laughs> that's perfect. I have a feeling you're going to want to use the same one for this next one. Okay. Wisconsin's Ron Johnson. Oh, God. Oh, they're awful. They're <laughs> all terrible. What is everyone thinking? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> uh, right, it's not going to work. My, my attack ads are really bad. They're just from the gut. Well, for radio, they're perfect. They're yeah. great for radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the audio is really there. Yeah, uh, thank you. What about Jim Jordan? Oh, come on. Don't <laughs> do this. Can we just not do that? Look at, let's not do this, folks. He's not as smart as you think he is, okay? He's pretending. He's he's not good. Do people think he's smart? I think I, yeah, they I don't do. I feel like he's pretending. They do think he's smart. They think he's smart and... Josh Hawley is actually smart, but mm. he the, he has the he's like a principal, you know. He's, he's like very your, your high school. Yeah, he's, he's got like, that. In, he's brusque yeah. and like indignant, and that mm-hmm. I think that actually conveys intelligence to people. <laughs> to me, it just he, I'm like it's like an he's like an an army dad. Yeah, yeah. Who is crushes it, <laughs> your dreams of doing poetry? There's a Seinfeld <laughs> I reference all the time where because it, it just comes up in life where George is like not working at all, but he wants to look 
Like he's really busy, so he just mm. looks stressed out all the time, and people are like give totally. him a wide berth. And I feel like that's sort of Jim Jordan. He's always like coming in hot. He's got his jacket off. That's and he's, it. Like, yeah, his totally. brow is always furrowed. Right. Like, oh God, where's my briefcase? I can't find my jacket. <laughs> There's nothing in the briefcase but fruit roll up. <laughs> okay. All right. Last, but well, okay. certainly least. Okay. Uh, Rand Paul. Oh. Human penis. Don't do it, <laughs> folks. He's not good. He's not he's not a leader. He's he's just a terrible. He's really, really terrible. He is just a penis man. Don't do it. <laughs> penis man. I don't know. It's just like a little curly penis. <laughs> you just were ready with that. You were so ready. Yeah, yeah. All right. So well, we're gonna see if uh we're gonna see if the DNC can use some of these. I don't think so. I'm not going to say any of these. I, I'm not going to say any of these out loud ever. <laughs> Dr. Penis these Man. Are bad. Dr. So you show respect. Yeah. Can you imagine? Penis Man MD, Adam. I, I'm, a, yeah. doctor, I'm obsessed with that. Like, I, if I saw him on TV now basically flaunting all the COVID protocols, I'd just be yeah. like, this guy operated on me. <laughs> I'm going to be well, terrified. Yes. How many of those patients survived? Is what I'd like to <laughs> I know. I feel like he was an eye doctor. Oh, was, was he? he? Yeah. How many blind well, people are walking around? So Thanks was, to Dr. Penis How many man. people have the wrong prescription? <laughs> oh, my God. Is he really an eye doctor? Or is yeah, he, I think so. He's an eye doctor. Well, anyway, now we're just attacking not, eye doctors. I'll stop. Are they real doctors? <laughs> we don't want the eye lobby to go after us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm also just a small part of your body. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, good for you. I hope you liked this podcast. Um <laughs> I mean, I hope. We're loopy. It's hot here. Okay, if you did, let me know in the convent. Convents? Oh, let's try that again. <laughs> okay, I hope you like this podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, I don't know. Consider hate listening in the future. All listeners are great to us. Seriously, though, please subscribe and rate and review Full Release and Apple Podcasts. It helps us. And keep sending your questions to fullrelease at sambi.com. You might even be featured in a future episode. Tune into Full Frontal with Samantha B every Wednesday night at 10.30 p.m. on TBS. And if you need, oh my God, I mean, bless you. If you need more Sam B., Oh, there's always additional full release on Stitcher Premium. And we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Sphere Baron Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by High Tech. It was edited by Julia Fott and it was hosted by me. My name is Samantha B. <laughs> it looks infested by insects in the best photos. Um, no. I'm like, hmm. they're like, it's rustic. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not, though. <laughs>